Montly gratitude 205 dollar and up patrons. Tatuet mermaid of birds. Patrick Halne and David Taylor. The Mon Lord will please you with many beautiful things. Hello, friends, and welcome to my fuck farm. I'm Joe. I'm David. And I'm the cummy cow. <laughs> Moo. All right. Yeah. Milk me, and daddy. <laughs> well, I hope everybody else feels weird, too. I don't. Fair enough. <laughs> I don't know. Why don't you come over and tell me how I feel? <laughs> yes, God, I'm daddy. in a weird mood today. Ah. That's good, because we're recording a <laughs> podcast. David, when you buy the uh, you know the automatic milkers for me, uh, make sure that they're ones that like they're not too high tech. I don't want it to be like smooth. I want it to be like rattly and loud, like nice. And you'll it'll be, and then I'll just sit there all day going. Don't forget to zap his little bottom with the cattle prod when he acts up. So now about origins. Yeah, we're going to finish, hopefully be done with the shite-ass Dan Brown book we've been reading all month. <sighs> Look, Dan Brown may have forced this book on the world. I just forced my cummy cow fetish onto the world, but at least it was quick. You know, that took about 30, 45 seconds. Yeah, you didn't write multiple, multiple books. Although I could. About your cummy cow fetish? Yes. <laughs> he could. That's no justification. <laughs> It's a lot of things I could do. <laughs> That's fair. David, I think I think you're the one that told me, like, just because you can drive your car with your feet doesn't mean you should. I don't know if it was me that said that, but it sounds like something I would say, so I'll own it. It's an old uh, Chris Rock joke from the 90s, I think. Yeah, uh, you relayed that to me as a Chris Rock joke. Oh, sure. What the fuck? Oh, right, we're doing this. Um, I completely lost my train of thought for a second. Where am I? Choo-choo, motherfucker. Origins. Whatever. The less said about Dan Brown, the better. We're going to read the book. <sighs> <sighs> I guess I should remind you to go to wegiveyoubrainworms.com where you can support Chris's cum cow fetish with money. Cummy cow. Cummy There's cow. There's a sorry. difference. I'm sorry for disrespecting you. I'll let it slide this time. Don't kink shame. Exactly. Yeah. No judgments here. Don't forget to engage with us on our social media. Every like, subscription, every every interaction you give us on our YouTube channel is a delicious blade of grass that Chris gets to consume. Support my milk production. Yeah, do that. You can just, if you're into this kind of thing, follow us on Facebook or Instagram True. where you'll be inundated with odd things. Yeah, we occasionally post funny content to our various social medias. See, that, that's a little misleading. We are very professional and composed. <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't. I tried. God fucking damn it. Is, is that everything? Did I remember? Yes. Yeah. Can, okay. We're done. All right, David, read Origins. <sighs> Once more into the breach, my friends. Woo! About a year ago, Kirsch had surprised Langdon by asking him not about art, but about God. An odd topic for a self-proclaimed atheist. Over a plate of short rib crudeau at Boston's Tiger Mama, <sighs> Kirsch had picked Langdon's brain on the core beliefs of various world religions, 
In particular, their different stories of the creation. Langdon gave him a solid overview of current beliefs. From the Genesis story shared by Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, all the way through the Hindu story of Brahma, the Babylonian tale of Marduk, and others. Babylon 5. I'm curious, Langdon asked as they left the restaurant, why is a futurist so interested in the past? Does this mean Uh, our famous atheist has finally found God? I hate these fucking characters so much. Yeah, you know, because, you know, when I became an atheist, I immediately just stopped referencing or acknowledging the psychological effect of a higher being on human existence. (sighs) Edmund let out a hearty laugh. Wishful thinking. I'm just sizing up my competition, Robert. Langdon smiled. Typical. Well, science and religion are not competitors. They're two different languages trying to tell the same story. There's room in this world for both. Hmm. Disagree. I don't know that I do. I I believe in science. (laughs) I don't believe in science in the same way that I don't believe in tables. They exist. I don't have to waste time believing in them. They are both useful tools, and I guess, you know, that I don't know. I was making an obscure Nacho Libre reference, Ah, okay? Nobody watched that movie. That's why it was obscure. I just wanted to clarify before you went into this too hard. I was not coming at you. I was saying, I believe in science, like the guy in that fucking weird Jack Black movie. David, continue. I'm sorry. That's okay. I uh, will always allow for obscure Jack Black references. I do like Jack Black. Me too. There's only one of him. He's absolutely an original. That's... Yeah. After that meeting, Edmund had dropped out of contact for almost a year. And then, out of the blue, three days ago, Langdon had received a FedEx envelope with a plane ticket, a hotel reservation, and a handwritten note from Edmund urging him to attend tonight's event. It read, Robert, it would mean the world to me if you, of all people, could attend. Your insights during our last conversation helped make this night possible. Langdon was baffled. Nothing about that conversation seemed remotely relevant to an event that would be hosted by a futurist. The FedEx envelope also included a black and white image of two people standing face to face. Kirsch had written a short poem to Langdon. Robert, when you see me face to face, I'll reveal the empty space. Edmund. Kiss him. Langdon smiled when he saw the image, a clever allusion to an episode in which Langdon had been involved several years earlier. The silhouette of a chalice, or grail cup, revealed itself in the empty space between the two faces. And there's one of those optical illusion photograph, you know, the the one you've probably all seen it. Mm-hmm. It's uh, black and white, and it does look like two faces or a chalice. right next to each other. With, yeah. So. Vases or faces. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah. This is kind of wishful thinking. Do <laughs> you think Dan Brown, like, saw that one day in his old age and was like, oh, this is the coolest thing ever. I've got to put this in my book. He does like stuff like that. I doubt this image was the uh, motivating factor for him writing this book. Right. But I don't know. We'll find out. Or I guess we won't because we probably won't finish the book. But Hell no. Now Langdon stood outside this museum, eager to learn what his former student was about to announce. A light breeze ruffled his jacket tails as he moved along the cement walkway on the bank of the meandering Nervion River which had once been the lifeblood of a thriving industrial city. As Langdon rounded a bend in the pathway, he finally permitted himself to look at the massive, glimmering museum. The structure was impossible to take in at a glance. Instead, his gaze traced back and forth along the entire length of the bizarre, elongated forms. 
This building doesn't just break the rules, Langdon thought. It ignores them completely. A perfect spot for Edmund. Yeah, I get it. You want to establish the guy as a rogue or whatever, a, a free thinker, mm-hmm. individual. But Jesus Christ, y- you don't have to hammer it home. Yeah. Quite that. Like, I'm sure that the, if Robert Langdon and Edmund Kirsch know each other well and are friends, mm-hmm. I feel certain that every now and again, his buddy Robert Langdon would think of him in ways that weren't just, my goodness, he's yeah. such a maverick. You know, if Dan Brown is is that taken with the vases or faces thing, nobody tell him what anamorphosis is or like his brain will just punch through <laughs> his skull. But yeah, like never in my inner monologue, I'm like, oh, yes, David, my handsome and clever friend. I haven't spoken to him in a while. <laughs> I'm disappointed. It's taken as red. I don't need to, to consciously think it. <laughs> I consciously think that about David all the time. Hmm. Of course, David would invite me to meet with him to have tea in the forest, for he is very sagely. <laughs> yeah, that's not a natural, like, that's not how people think about their friends normally, I don't yeah. feel. And uh, we'll probably touch on this more at the end, but I think one just kind of constant throughout Dan Brown's writing is that uh, his dialogue is not his strong point. I do think he has interesting ideas. I think he has interesting ideas, but I feel like he gets hung up on the wrong details, at least based on the three books of his that I'm familiar with. He gets so hung up on just giving you so much of the wrong information that you have to dig a tunnel underneath all of that to find the actual story that's interesting hey i don't know what you're talking about digital fortress would have fallen apart if we didn't know that that one lady had nice legs i personally think that what really made that book stand out was the fact that its protagonist played squash yeah i thought it was because he was a billionaire and was really smart and sexy 